Welcome to the National CMV Foundation podcast. I'm Kristen Spitek, President and Chair of the National CMV Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus, or CMV infection, is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the United States, affecting more than 30,000 children per year. The National CMV Foundation is dedicated to educating women of childbearing age about congenital CMV, and our podcast series highlights advocacy, education, industry, and scientific advances in the space, bringing congenital cytomegalovirus to the forefront of the conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Meridian Bioscience, working to create healthcare solutions that help save lives with each discovery, each diagnosis, every patient, every day. Our guest is Dr. Sally Permar. Sally is a professor of pediatrics at Duke University. She's also a member of the Duke Human Vaccine Institute, an affiliate of the Duke Global Health Institute, and serves as Associate Dean of Physician Scientist Development. Sally is uniquely talented, and today she's going to share some of her experiences in the CMV space. I'm so happy to announce that she has recently joined our board of directors, and we're lucky to have her mentorship, guidance, and talents. Sally, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. If you wouldn't mind, will you explain a little bit about your expertise and background for the audience in terms of how you got into this line of work? I am a pediatric infectious disease physician and a vaccine researcher. And I really came to the field of vaccines and preventing virus infections in children um, in experiencing the HIV epidemic as an undergraduate and college student um, when I traveled to the developing world, um, Sub-Saharan Africa, and, and just really felt the weight of that epidemic in that part of the world. But one of the hardest things for me was seeing that children were being born with this lifelong um, uh, virus that um, they then had to live with, their families had to live with, um, required constant care, and even um, often early death. And so I started down a path to pursue HIV research and vaccines um, because I thought that's the only way, you know, that I can see um, these children not having to face that. But then when I was going through my training in pediatric infectious diseases, I um, was surprised that there was another congenitally infected virus that I was seeing way more commonly in this country than um, HIV infections of children, and that was cytomegalovirus. And it really struck me that we needed a vaccine for cytomegalovirus. And um, in looking into the field, I thought, it doesn't seem like there are enough people working on that uh, at the time, because I knew many people working on an HIV vaccine, but I didn't know many people working on a CMV vaccine. And so I started to um, gather that interest through my clinical work and um, then started to apply some of the strategies that I had trained in and was learning from the HIV field in um, working towards understanding um, what were the types of questions that we needed to ask, what types of immune responses do we need to better understand about CMV in order to develop an effective vaccine, and what, and what has already happened in the CMV vaccine world, because certainly um, a vaccine has been pursued for over 50 years, yet we still uh, have more work to do. So that was how I came to the field. And then after starting to meet some of the individuals that were very committed to the field of CMV and the strong advocates, such as Chris and yourself and others that are involved in the National CMV Foundation, really solidified 
my interest in staying in the field and keeping a CMV vaccine at the top of the priority for all sectors that are working towards eliminating infectious diseases. Excellent. Thanks so much for that background. And it is fascinating to see the connection between the HIV work that you were doing and, you know, learning about CMV. Um, and you're also a mom. Did you hear anything about congenital cytomegalovirus during your pregnancy or, or beforehand in your medical training? Did you know much about it or prevention? Yeah, so I definitely learned about it in medical school because I pursued a PhD even before medical school. I, I think I had, you know, sort of caught wind of this very ubiquitous virus and the and the havoc that it can wreak when transmitted during pregnancy. And so I came to pregnancy sort of hyper aware <laughs> of this virus. And so I was the one who was asking her OB, like, you need to test me for CMV. And at the time, I was also um, a physician in a pediatric hospital and an infectious disease physician and seeing a lot of children with CMV. And so I thought, well, surely, you know, I've been exposed to it already. And so I got my OB to, to test me. I had not been exposed to CMV. And so that I just felt was sort of at least I, I had the knowledge, you know, going into my pregnancy that I actually had no immunity to the virus. And I think that knowledge is, can be powerful uh, when you know what the risks are, when you know what to expect, when you know you can do something about it. And I had a special scenario in which I felt like I had, you know, potential added risk by seeing patients who, and working in the lab with this virus. And so to me, you know, knowledge always adds power to uh, feel like you can do more to um, improve your health and improve the health of the fetus when you're pregnant. That's great. And you mentioned that there had been some CMV vaccine work done before as you started started embarking on this um, and that, you know, CMV vaccine development work is underway. Could you talk a little bit about where we are today and realistically when we think we'll have a vaccine in market? Is it next year or five years or 10 years from now? Just a little bit about the process to um, FDA approval and how that works. Yes, we, we are not at the beginning, that's the good news, of um, the CMV vaccine work. There, there are actually many decades that have come before. And I think when the rubella vaccine was so successful, and really Stan Plotkin, who we call one of the grandfathers of vaccinology, worked to develop the rubella vaccine, I think everyone thought that CMV would just be the next one on the list. But it didn't turn out to be quite as simple as achieving an effective rubella vaccine. Rubella has the advantage of when you are immune to rubella, you are not susceptible again. And so that was one advantage to the vaccine. If the vaccine could just recreate natural immunity, which it mainly does, then um, that proved to be effective in preventing women from acquiring rubella during pregnancy and therefore eliminating the congenital infection. One major blow to the CMV vaccine field was really the recognition that natural immunity to CMV is not protective completely. That even when you come into pregnancy with, with immunity and prior exposure to CMV um, generating that immunity, you can still pass the virus on to the baby. And we don't even know is that the virus that you already have in your body, because CMV lives latently, which is another big difference from um, small RNA viruses like rubella, or is it a new virus that you came in contact with and you became reinfected, which is also possible with CMV. So this put CMV really in um, a different category of difficulty for vaccine development, that we can't just recapitulate natural immunity we're going to have to be better than natural immunity. And this virus has been evolving with 
human species and other um, animal species for literally millions of years. And so it has developed a lot of strategies to evade our immune system. And so we're also up against that. But there have been some major highlights in the vaccine development. And um, one is that after trying some of the sort of more typical vaccine strategies, like using attenuated virus. Attenuated virus means you take the virus, culture it from human samples, and then um, keep it in cell culture over time, and the virus weakens over time. It becomes more able to infect cells than it, uh, non-human cells than it does infecting human cells, and therefore it's, uh, when you put it um, into a vaccine, it um, is not able to infect that individual. And that, that is similar to how we make measles vaccines, rubella vaccine, et cetera. That was the first approach um, to just sort of mimic what had been so successful for measles and rubella. That was shown that, again, you could still become infected um, after having that type of vaccine. So that approach led way to, well, could we take um, a, a key part of the vaccine and, uh, a, sorry, a key part of the virus and have that um, be the target of the vaccine? And so that was um, about 20 years ago. Um, a lot of trials went forward with the main protein on the surface of the vaccine that is used to infect a new cell, and that's called the glycoprotein B. Glycoprotein B um, vaccine with a strong adjuvant was actually tried in several patient populations, including postpartum women and adolescent women and even transplant patients who also can have problems with CMB when they are immune suppressed. And, and the vaccine actually achieved about 50% efficacy over um, those three different patient populations and preventing um, either new acquisition of the virus in the case of the trials that were done in postpartum women and adolescents, or prevention of virus reactivation, which was the endpoint in the transplant trials. And that's extremely remarkable to have three human trials basically achieve the same endpoint. So there was some, uh, some hope that came out of that uh, vaccine. But then it was recognized that that wouldn't likely be enough. 50% protection would likely not be enough. We need to get closer to 70, 80, 90%. And so some other ideas have come into the field. Um, there are other proteins on the surface of the virus that seem to be very important for viruses entering the next set of cells. And uh, we know more about those uh, proteins on the surface now than we did um, in the last um, decade or so. And so those um, new protein complexes are being added into the vaccines as well. But also some work that we've done is to try to understand what uh, was it about that glycoprotein B vaccine that generated the partial protection. If we couldn't, you know, intensely study those vaccinees who were protected and compare them to vaccinees who were not protected, then maybe we could learn something about what type of response was effective in those vaccines and work on uh, eliciting that response as the dominant response. And we've had some um, good work go forward there that I think will guide vaccines for the future. And then the, the last thing I'll say is, is I'm really hopeful that this time in, in um, history is what I'm calling the golden era for CMV vaccines. And, and that is because many of the pharmaceutical companies have recognized that CMV vaccine is both highly needed and potentially highly marketable. And that's because it's a um, vaccine that is needed worldwide. It's needed in both developed countries and developing countries. 
And so it's unlike a lot of those vaccines for tropical diseases that are only in certain parts of the world that may not be able to support, you know, purchasing all the vaccines that, that would support the development. And so CMV is at the top of the list for many of the major pharmaceutical companies, um, including Merck, Moderna, uh, GSK, Sanofi, et cetera. And that's good news for the CMV field because that means you have many efforts that are coming together and moving forward. And so while right now we only really have one phase three um, or late phase trial um, samples to study, we see many um, phase two, phase three uh, clinical trials moving forward now with vaccines. And while they may not be that high efficacious vaccine that we're looking for, it will at least teach us something very important about the types of responses that are going to be effective. And, and the next generation of vaccines can learn from those. So I um, am, am extremely optimistic about our ability to have a CMB vaccine in the next, uh, I'll go with two decades because of just all of the uh, efforts that, that we see moving in parallel that, and, and researchers really coming together and funding coming together for that research to make sure that we get the most out of every trial that goes forward to learn how to make the next best vaccine and really achieve that high efficacious vaccine um, that will eliminate uh, the congenital transmission. That was awesome. I really appreciate you breaking it down for us in terms of sort of what's happened and where we're going and why this virus is so complicated. Um, I just think that's really fascinating and, and helps to give perspective because the number one thing I'm asked is where are we on a vaccine? That is the number one key to prevention and why is it taking so long? Why is industry not on board? Where's the awareness? Where's the funding? So I really appreciate that sense and I'm glad to hear the hopefulness in your voice because I think I also feel really encouraging about where we're going and I do think that we're developing some unique partnerships now with industry and with researchers and clinicians. And I think that sort of facilitation and that momentum is just going to propel us even further in the next decade so that we can make such tremendous progress. So I'm excited to hear you say that too. And we need partners like the National CMB Foundation to keep everybody on their toes that we, you know, need, even though the, the pharmaceutical companies are very on board right now, we need to, uh, we need to help with their efforts as well. And as you know, better than all of us, it's an uphill battle because only 9% of women have actually heard of this virus. And that really can hurt um, a vaccine effort because um, the public doesn't see it as a priority if they don't know about it. The efforts of the foundation to support the awareness, also to keep up the pressure on the basic research because we can't rely on the vaccine companies alone. Vaccine companies are so necessary to the process of having an effective vaccine because they, uh, you know, have the funding, the capital, the, um, the production capabilities, but they are not waiting around for the basic science to catch up, to tell them what types of immune responses are going to be most important, to tell them what type of vaccine is going to elicit those immune responses. And that's where the basic science comes in that is typically, you know, funded by uh, federal government through the National Institute of Health um, or other funding, also foundation funding. And even the National CMB Foundation has supported um, research that's so vital, um, in particular at um, helping those in the early stages of career um, in, in research because uh, early, making it successfully through the early stages of your research career is, is completely equated with how much funding you're able to get 
in a specific area that you want to study. If you're not able to get funding in a specific area, you don't end up studying that area, and, and then you base your career in something else, or you, know, you, don't, you don't stay in research. And so the, the early career funding that you all are providing, which can um, launch someone who's newly coming to the field um, in the area of CMB, um, will help them to stay in that um, subject area for their research and help them stay in research in the long term. And so, uh, so I really think that that is, you're right on the money with where to um, you know, uh, spend the resources that you all are working so hard to generate. That's great. I, you actually just answered my next question. So I feel so fortunate that you, you sort of went there and said what we sort of needed to continue to work on and what the foundation needed to support, because I think that is always my first takeaway is sort of how are we really impacting the community and how can we continue to move forward efficiently and effectively with our dollars. So I'm so glad to hear um, some action items for us as we move into the next decade and things that we can be doing to better support the research and better support industry as we march ahead. So thanks for, thanks for that. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, and just a couple additional questions for you. You know, what excited you most about the opportunity to join our board of directors? Yeah, so I think what I've already alluded to is I was already impressed with um, the direction that you all were taking it, that um, yes, the, you know, sort of just the bringing groups together, raising funding for, for patient care and advocacy is important, but we need to go to the next level when we talk about um, elimination, and that is, including the entire community of researchers, advocates, patients, um, the science. So, and you all were at that table. And that really impressed me with um, the operation. And so I already sort of had this admiration for the, the um, foundation. Um, and, it, it, and so, you know, that made it an easy ask when your email came, Kristen. I feel like this is a, this is a goal that is achievable. Um, eliminating congenital CMV in my lifetime. And partly that's scientific, partly it's, uh, it's important, and partly it's who, who I see, you know, joining that effort, and, and national CMV is part of that. Kristen, you asked me, well, you're so busy already. How can, are you sure you can do this? And I said, well, I already discussed that with my husband, and when I brought this opportunity to him, he said, well, that's one of your number one goals, so you should definitely join that board. So I think it's it's just, you know, we all make time for priorities, and this is a priority for me, is finding a way to get that vaccine that's going to eliminate um, CMV. And I know you can't do it with one, uh, with researchers alone. You have to have do it as a community. And so that uh, is what inspired me to, to join the board. That's awesome. And you do such a nice job of really explaining your work and what needs to happen in the field of congenital research to sort of the layman or the parents and the advocates who don't necessarily have a background in basic science. So I really appreciate that. And you're very active on Twitter. Would you mind and so people can keep up with your work? Yeah, so um, you can certainly follow me on Twitter. I am at Sally, it's with an IE, Permar, but I think I'm one of the only Sally Permars out there. So um, it's not too hard to find me. Yes, you're constantly publishing and retweeting things that are really, really relevant to our line of work as well, and we, um, we're fascinated by the work that you're doing. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with before we part? Yeah, I'll just say again, you know, my position, in addition to all the advocacy and the um, basic research that we're doing, I think the foundation's commitment to following through with universal testing is also one of the most important efforts 
you have going and for the field in general. So I also want to just commend your commitment to that and to also the listeners who I know are likely involved in um, local CMB advocacy for testing. But to me, as a vaccinologist, I see that as key to moving the vaccine research forward because, again, we have to have demands from the public. And if the public doesn't know about it, then it won't, it won't be top priority list. And I think that one way we're going to really expand awareness is when we add universal testing and, and then it became much more aware of how common it is. Like, like I was so surprised when I started seeing patients in a congenital infection clinic and almost every patient had CMV that I was seeing. I always say that it was like I had my own little Zika epidemic going on in my clinic. And I think that CMV is so common that once there's universal testing, that will become apparent to the whole country. So I am also really impressed and, and want to just um, reinforce the importance of the work towards universal screening and care for kids affected by CMV. That's great. And, you know, we're still sort of five years young, I like to say. We're learning a lot as we grow, and there is so much opportunity at this point. As you mentioned, there's virtually no awareness amongst the general public, and we're just starting to really develop and ingratiate ourselves with these relationships and partnerships as we move forward. And I'm just really energized and committed to the future of not only the organization, but the work and the passion of the people and, you know, I, I agree completely that in our lifetime, we are going to see the prevention of this epidemic amongst babies. And I'm really excited about where we're going. So I just wanted to say again, thank you for joining us and for your mentorship and guidance, guidance on the director level. And we look forward to collaborating with you over the next few years in many, many efforts. But thank you so much for your time today, Sally, and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you, Kristen. I look forward to working with you. Thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Meridian Bioscience, working to create healthcare solutions that help save lives with each discovery, each diagnosis, every patient, every day. Visit nationalcmv.org for additional topics and podcast episodes. Links for today's conversation can be found in the show notes. And don't forget... National CMV Foundation is a nonprofit organization and we rely on donor support to bring you programming like the show you just heard. Please go to nationalcmv.org backslash donate to give online or text stop CMV to 41411 to give by phone. I'm Kristen Spitek. 